It's got action, drama, tragedy, ghost, irony, repentance, gambling, death, questionable ethics, an albatross, and The Walking Dead. And the best part is, it's all true. Today on Of Epic Proportions, where we read epic poetry because it's epic, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, read from the text of 1834. So I came across this poem pretty recently, and it is the sort of the source of inspiration for this podcast. If you recognize the opening line, then congratulations, you're a huge nerd. That was from season four, I think episode six of Samurai Jack, which I watched recently for the first time. And that's sort of the pitch the Mariner on the dock gives to our favorite Scottish character in that show. And it pulled me in for real. And I looked up the poem and fell in love. It was very interesting. It was captivating. And I just had to read it. And what better way to read it than to record it for a podcast for other people to listen to it and sort of get into my fascination and love for epic poetry as well. So enough intro babble. Let's get into reading The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth one of three. By thy long gray beard and glittering eye, now wherefore stoppest thou me? The bridegroom's doors are open wide, and I am next of kin. The guests are met, the feast is set, mayest hear the merry din. He holds him with his skinny hand, there was a ship, quoth he. Hold off, unhand me, gray beard loon, soon his hand dropped ye. He holds him with his glittering eye, the wedding guest stood still, and listens like a three years child, the mariner hath his will. The wedding guest sat on the stone, he cannot choose but hear, and thus spake the ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. The ship was cheered, the harbor cleared, merrily did we drop, below the kirk, below the hill, below the lighthouse top. The sun came up upon the left, out of the sea came he, and he shone bright, and on the right went down into the sea. Higher and higher every day, till over the mast at noon, the wedding guest here beat his breast, for he heard the loud bassoon. The bride hath paced into the hall, red as a rose is she, nodding their head before her goes, the merry mistrelees. The wedding guest he beat his breast, yet he cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on the ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. And now the storm blast came, and he was tyrannous and strong. He struck with his o'ertaking wings and chased us south along, with sloping mast and dipping pro, as who pursued with yell and blow, still treads the shadow of his foe, and forward bends his head. The ship drove fast, loud roared the blast, and southward I we fled. And now there came both mist and snow, and it grew wondrous cold, and ice mast high came floating by, as green as emerald. And though the drifts, the snowy cliffs, did send a dismal sheen, nor shapes of men nor beasts we can, the ice was all between. The ice was here, the ice was there, the ice was all around. It cracked and growled and roared and howled like noises in a swound. At length did cross an albatross, through the fog it came, as if it had been a Christian soul, we hailed it in God's name. It ate the food it near had eat, and round and round it flew. The ice did split with a thunder fit, the helmsman steered us through. And a good south wind sprung up behind, 
the albatross did follow, and every day, for food or play, came to the mariner's hollow, and Mr. Cloud on master's shroud it perched for vespers nine, while all at night, through fog smoke white, glimmered the white moon's shine. God save thee, ancient mariner, from the fiends that plague thee thus. Why look'st thou so? With my crossbow, I shot the albatross. The sun now rose upon the right, out of the sea came he, still hid in the mist and on the left went down into the sea, and the good south wind still blew behind, but no sweet bird did follow, nor any day for food or play came to the mariner's hollow, and I had done a hellish thing, and it would work em woe, for all averred I had killed the bird that made the breeze to blow. A wretch, said thee the bird to slay that made the breeze to blow nor dim nor red like god's own head the glorious sun of rest then all averred i had killed the bird that brought the fog and mist twas right they said such birds to slay that bring the fog and mist the fair breeze blew the white foam flew the furrow followed free we were the first that ever burst into that silent sea Dropped down the breeze, the sails dropped down, so sad as could be, and we did not speak only to break the silence of the sea. All in a hot and copper sky, the bloody sun at noon, right above the mast did stand, no bigger than the moon. Day after day, day after day, we stuck nor breath nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean, Water, water, everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water, everywhere, nor any drop to drink. The very deep did rot, oh Christ, that ever this should be. Yes, slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. About, about, and reel and rout, the death fires danced at night. The water, like witch's oil, burnt green and blue and white. And some in dreams assured were of the spirit that plagued us so. Nine fathom deep he had followed us from the land of mist and snow, and every tongue through utter drought was withered at the root. We could not speak no more if we had been choked with soot. Ah, well a day, what evil looks! Had I from old and young, instead of the cross, the albatross around my neck was hung. There passed a weary time, each throat was parched and glazed each eye. A weary time, a weary time, how glazed each weary eye. When looking westward, I beheld a something in the sky. At first it seemed a little speck, and then it seemed a mist. It moved and moved, took at last a certain shape, I wist. A speck, a mist, a shape, I wist, and still it neared and near. As if it dodged a water sprite, it plunged and tacked and veered. With throats unslaked, with black lips baked, we could nor laugh nor wail. Through utter drought, all dumb we stood. I bit my arm, I sucked the blood, and cried, A sail, a sail! With throats unslaked, with black lips baked, I gaped, they heard me call. Gramercy! They for joy to grin, and all at once their breath drew in, as they were drinking all. See, see, I cried, she tacks no more. Hither to work us wheel, without a breeze, without a tide, she steadies with upright keel. The western wave was all aflame. The day was nigh well done. Almost upon the western wave rested the broad, bright sun. 
when that strange shape drove suddenly betwixt us in the sun. And straight the sun was flecked with bars, Heaven Mother send us grace, as if through a dungeon grate he peered with broad and burning face. Alas, thought I, my heart beat loud, how fast she nears and nears, are those her sails that glance in the sun like restless gossamers? Are those her ribs through which the sun did peer as through a grate? And is that the woman, all her crew? Is that a death, and are there two? Is death that woman's mate? Her lips were red, her looks were free, her locks were yellow as gold. Her skin was white as leprosy, the nightmare of life and death was she, who thicks man's blood with cold. The naked hulk alongside came, and twain were casting dice. The game is done, I've won, I've won, quoth she, and whistles thrice. The sun rim dips, the stars rush out, at one stride comes the dark. With far heard whisper o'er the sea, off shot the spectre bark. We listened and looked sideways up, fear at my heart as at a cup. My lifeblood seemed to sip, the stars were dim and thick the night. The steerman's face by his lamp gleamed white, from the sails the dew did drip. So clomb above the eastern bar, the horn moon with one bright star within the nether tip. One after one by the star-dogged moon, too quick for groan or sigh, each turned his face with a ghastly pang and cursed me with his eye. Four times fifty living men, and I heard nor sigh nor groan, with a heavy thump, a lifeless lump, they dropped down one by one. The souls did from their bodies fly, they fled to bliss or woe, and every soul it passed me by like the whiz of my crossbow. I fear thee, ancient mariner, I fear thy skinny hand, and thou art long and lank and brown as in the ribsy sand. I fear thee and thy glittering eye and thy skinny hand so brown. Fear not, fear not, thou wedding guest, this body drop not down. Alone, alone, all, all alone, alone on the wide, wide sea. And never a saint took pity on my soul in agony. But many men, so beautiful, and they all dead did lie. And a thousand, thousand slimy things lived on, and so did I. I looked upon the rotting sea and drew my eyes away. I looked upon the rotting deck, and there the dead men lay. I looked to heaven and tried to pray, but or ever a prayer had gushed. A wicked whisper came and made my heart as dry as dust. I closed my lids and kept them closed, and the balls like pulses beat. For the sky and the sea, and the sea and the sky, the dead like a load on my weary eye, and the dead were at my feet. The cold sweat melted from their limbs, nor rot nor weak did they. The look with which they looked on me had never passed away. An orphan's curse would drag to hell, a spirit from on high. But oh, more horrible than that is the curse in a dead man's eye. Seven days, seven nights I saw that curse, and yet I could not die. The moving moon went up the sky, and nowhere did abide. Softly she was going up, and a star or two beside. Her beams be-mocked the sultry main, like April hoarfrost spread. But where the ship's huge shadow lay, the charmed water burnt all way, and still an awful red. Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched the water snakes. 
They moved in tracks of shining white, and when they reared, the elfish light fell off in hoary flakes. Within the shadow of the ship, I watched their rich attire, blue, glossy green, and velvet black. They coiled and swam, and every track was a flash of golden fire. Oh, happy living things, no tongue their beauty might declare. A spring of love gushed from my heart, and I blessed them unaware. Sure, my kind saint took pity on me, and I blessed them unaware. The selfsame moment I could pray, and from my neck so free, the albatross fell off and sank like lead into the sea. Oh, sleep, it is a gentle thing, beloved from pole to pole. To Mary Queen, the praise be given. She sent the gentle sleep from heaven that slid into my soul. The silly buckets on the deck that had so long remained, I dreamt that they were filled with dew, and when I woke it rained. My lips were wet, my throat was cold, my garments all were dank. Sure, I had drunken in my dreams, and still my body drank. I moved. I could not feel my limbs. I was so light, almost. I thought that I had died in sleep and was a blessed ghost. And soon I heard a roaring wind that did not come anear. For with its sound it shook the sails that were so thin and sear. The upper air burst into life, and a hundred fireflies sheen. To and fro they were hurried about, and to and fro and in and out the wind stars danced between. And the coming wind did roar more loud, and the sails did sigh like sedge. And the rain poured down from one black cloud, the moon was at its edge. The thick blood cloud was cleft, and still the moon was at its side. Like water shot from some high crag, the lightning fell with never a jag, a river steep and wide. The loud wind never reached the ship, yet now the ship moved on. Beneath the lightning and the moon, the dead men gave a groan. They groaned, they stirred. They all uprose, nor spake nor moved their eyes. It had been strange, even in a dream, to see those dead men rise. The helmsmen steered, the ship moved on, yet never a breeze up blew. The mariners all again worked the ropes where they were wont to do. They raised their limbs like lifeless tools. We were a ghastly crew. The body of my brother's son stood by me knee to knee. The body and I pulled at one rope. He said, not to me. I fear the ancient mariner. Be calm, thou wedding guest. T'was not those souls that fled in plain, which to their corpses came again, but a troop of spirits blessed. For when it dawned, they dropped their arms and clustered round the mast. Sweet sounds rose through their mouths and from their bodies passed. Around, around flew each sweet sound, then darted to the sun. Slowly the sounds came back again, now mixed, now one by one. Sometimes a dropping from the sky, I heard the skylark sing. Sometimes all little birds that are, how they seemed to fill the sea and air with their sweet jargoning. And now it was like all instruments, now like a lonely flute. And now it is an angel song that makes the heavens be mute. It ceased, yet still the sails made on. A pleasant noise till noon, a noise like of a hidden brook in the leafy month of June, that to a sleeping woods all night singeth the quiet tune. Till noon we quietly sailed on, yet never a breeze did breathe. Slowly and smoothly went the ship, moved onward from beneath. Under the keel nine fathom deep, from land of mist and snow, the spirit slid, and it was he that made the ship to go. The sails at noon left off their tune, and the ships did still also. The sun, 
right above the mast, had fixed her to the ocean. But in a minute, she again stirred with a short, uneasy motion, backwards and forwards, half her length, with a short, uneasy motion. Then, like a pawing horse let go, she made a sudden bound. It flung the blood into my head, and I fell down in a swound. How long in that same fit I lay, I had not to declare, but ere my living life returned, I had heard in my soul discern two voices in the air. Is it he, quoth one, is this the man, by him who died on cross, with his cruel bow he laid full low the harmless albatross? The spirit who biddeth by himself in the land of mist and snow, he loved the bird that loved the man who shot him with his bow. The other one was a softer voice, as soft as honeydew, quoth he, the man hath penis done, and penis more will do. But tell me, tell me, speak again, the soft response renewing. What makes that ship drive on so fast? What is the ocean doing? Still as a slave before his lord, the ocean hath no blast. His great bright eye most silently up to the moon is cast. If he may know which way to go, for she guides him smooth or grim. See, brother, see how graciously she looketh down on him. But why drive on that ship so fast without wave or wind? The air is cut away before and closes from behind. Fly, brother, fly, more high, more high, or we shall be belated. For slow and slow that ship will go when the mariner's trance is abated. I woke. We were sailing on, as in a gentle weather. T'was night, calm night, the moon was high, and the dead men stood together. All stood together on the deck, for a trinal dungeon fitter, all fixed on me their stony eyes that in the moon did glitter. The pang, the curse, with which they died, had never passed away. I could not draw my eyes from theirs, nor turn them up to pray. And now the spell was snapped. Once more I viewed the ocean green, and looked far forth yet little saw of what had else been seen. Like one that on a lonesome road doth walk in fear and dread, and having once turned round walks on, and turns no more his head, because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread. But soon there breathed a wind on me, nor sound nor motion made. Its path was not upon the sea, in ripple or in shade. It raised my hair, it fanned my cheek like a metal gale of spring. It mingled strangely with my fears, yet felt like a welcoming. Swiftly, swiftly flew the ship, yet she sailed softly, too. Sweetly, sweetly blew the breeze, on me alone it blew. Oh, dream of joy, is this indeed the lighthouse top I see? Is this the hill? Is this the kirk? Is this my own country? We drifted o'er the harbor bar, and I was sobs at prey. Oh, let me be awake, my God, or let me sleep away. The harbor bay was clear as glass, so smoothly was it strewn, and on the bay the moonlight lay in the shadow of the moon. The rock shone bright, the kirk no less that stands above the rock. The moonlight stooped in silentness, the steady weathercock. And the bay was white with silent light, till rising from the same, full many shapes that shadows were, and crimson colors came. A little distance from the prow, those crimson shadows were, I turned my eyes upon the deck. Oh Christ, what I saw there! Each course lay flat, lifeless and flat, and by the holy rood, a man all light, the seraph man, on every course there stood. The seraph band each waved his hand, it was a heavenly sight. They stood as signals to the land, each one a lovely light. The seraph band each waved his hand, 
No voice did they impart. No voice, but oh, the silence sank like music on my heart. But soon I heard the dash of oars. I heard the pilot cheer. My head was turned perforce away, and I saw the boat appear. The pilot and the pilot's boy. I heard them coming fast. Dear Lord in heaven, it was a joy the dead men could not blast. I saw a third. I heard his voice. It is the hermit. Good. He singeth loud his godly hymns that he makes in the wood. He'll shrieve my soul. He'll wash away the albatross's blood. This hermit good lives in that wood which slopes down to the sea. How loudly his sweet voice he rears. He loves to talk with mariners that come from a far country. He kneels at morn and noon and eve. He hath a cushion plump. It is the moss that wholly hides the rotted old oak stump. The skiff boat neared. I heard them talk. Why, this is strange, I trow. Where are those lights so many and fair that signal made but now? Strange, by my faith, the hermit said. And they answered, not our cheer. The planks look warped and see those sails, how thin they are and sear. I never saw aught like to them, unless perchance it were. Brown skeletons of leave that lag, my forest broke along. When the ivy tod is heavy with snow, and the owlet whoops to the wolf below that eats the she-wolf's young. Dear Lord, it hath a fiendish look, the pilot made reply. I am feared. Push on, push on, said the hermit cheerily. The boat came closer to the ship, but I nor spake nor stirred. The boat came close beneath the ship, and a straight a sound was heard. Under the water it rumbled on, still louder and more dread. It reached the ship, it split the bay. The ship went down like lead. Stunned by that loud and dreadful sound, which sky and ocean smote, like one that hath been seven days drowned, my body lay afloat. But swift as dreams myself I found within the pilot's boat. Upon the whirl where sank the ship, the boat spun round and round, and all was still, save that the hill was telling of the sound. I moved my lips. The pilot shrieked and fell down in a fit. The holy hermit raised his eyes and prayed where I did sit. I took the oars. The pilot's boy, who now doth crazy go, laughed loud and long, and all the while his eyes went to and fro. Ha ha, quoth he, full plain I see, the devil knows how to row. And now, all in my own country, I stood on the firm land. The hermit set forth from the boat, and scarcely he could stand. Oh, shrieve me, shrieve me, holy man, the hermit crossed his brow. Say quick, quoth he, I bid thee say, what manner of man art thou? For with this frame of mine was wrenched with the woeful agony, which forced me to begin my tale, and then it left me free. Since then, at an uncertain hour, that agony returns. Until my ghastly tale is told, this heart within me burns. I pass, like night, from land to land. I have strange power of speech, that moment that his face I see. I know the man that must hear me, to him my tale I teach. What loud uproar burst from that door? The wedding guests are there, but in the garden bower the bride and bridesmaids singing are. The hark the little vesper bell which biddeth me to prayer. O wedding guest, this soul hath been, alone on the wide, wide sea. So lonely twas that God himself scarce seemed there to be. O sweeter than the marriage feast, tis sweeter far to me, to walk together to the kirk with a goodly company. To walk together to the kirk and all together pray, while each to his great father bends, old men and babes and loving friends and youths and maidens gay. Farewell, farewell, but this I tell, 
to thee, thou wedding guest, he prayeth well, who loveth well, both man and bird and beast. He prayeth best, who loveth best, all things both great and small. For the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. The mariner, whose eye is bright, whose beard with age is hoar, is gone, and now the wedding guest turned from the bridegroom's door. He went like one that hath been stunned, and is of sense forlorn, a sadder and a wiser man. He rose the moral morn. And there we have the tale of the Ancient Mariner. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coolridge. Um, the original was written in 1797, published in 1798. I did read from a slightly updated version um, from the early 1800s, like I mentioned at the beginning. I think in that version he changed some of the words, but we'll get to talking about the, um, the word usage here in a bit. Before we jump in to the definition section, though, I wanted to go ahead and recap the tale, maybe in more layman's terms and sort of plain language, in case you sort of missed what was going on or you didn't quite get it, but you enjoyed it nonetheless, that's totally fine. It took me three complete read-throughs before I got this, as well as I listened to the Iron Maiden Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner song, which is where they kind of sing the poem um it's 13 minutes long so it's not obviously the full poem but they use some of the lyrics there and that also provided like another level of understanding so definitely take some time to get used to it but I wanted to recap it so I'm going to do my best to sort of recap kind of what happens so the tale starts out with this old guy creeping up on the Scottish people's wedding he's the graybeard loon he's the mariner who the story's about and who's telling the story so the entire poem is in the framing as well of an old guy telling a group of people his tale. And so there's these interludes by the wedding guest. Um, I knew these threw me off when I first read it that are throughout the poem. Um, obviously, they're bookended, but there's like one or two stanzas in the middle where the wedding guests are like, this story's getting out of control, like calm down. And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. I'm going to keep going. So that's how we begin. This guy creeps up on this wedding. He's like, I'm going to tell you guys a story. And they're like what and eventually he convinces them and they sit eagerly to hear the tale of this sailor and so eventually he begins his tale um and it's just about how they're out on the ocean it's not you know an expedition they're just sailing delivering something whatever it is they end up in some ice and they're kind of get stuck this albatross comes which is a seabird and the bird sounds that you hear in the background during that sequence are accurate albatross sounds so any ornithologist out there let me know if I found the wrong wrong one but I'm pretty sure those are accurate albatross calls and the albatross is like oh check me out I'm gonna eat your food but look at that the winds also started to pick up as it's a good sign and what does our mariner do well he shoots it I don't know why he shoots it I don't know if there's a way to interpret why he shoots it it feels like he's just like randomly out there he's like I'm gonna hunt and he shoots the bird it's bad luck to kill a seabird and that kind of screws them over. And then bad stuff starts to happen. The crew drops dead. He thinks he's a ghost. He's like lamenting. He's like, God, why did I do this? If you remember my teaser at the beginning, this is questionable ethical decisions. Um, and then the repentance art um, happens here in sort of the, the second act. Eventually, um, without getting at all to the nitty gritty, he apologizes. He repents. 
He blesses the living things and the ocean, even though he was they were gross earlier. He's like, no, they're beautiful. Everything's beautiful. And we come back to sort of not quite modern times, but a little bit ahead of his life, where um, these guys on this little skiff, I'm guessing, come and find him. This is the hermit and the pilot and the pilot's son. Um, and so that's sort of fast forward a bit. I imagine it's fast forward a bit, maybe even just a couple weeks. But they find him. They think he's dead. Boom, he's not dead. He commandeers the boat, gets back to land. He's like, oh my god, I'm back home. I made it. I gotta get this story off my chest. It's gonna drive me crazy. And eventually he gets it off his chest at the wedding, which we started the poem at. And that is him telling his tale. And he's like, the moral of the story is don't hunt, I guess, because he says all living things are beautiful, made by God, you know, love it all. Don't mess up like me. He's just kind of warning these church party goers. And he tells his tale. People, I'm sure, like, thank God that's over. I can't believe we agreed to sit down to this. And they go and they have a beautiful little wedding and a beautiful little church on a hill. And then the story ends that he is a sadder and wiser man. He got up the next morning, um, kind of got that story off his chest. Um, I feel like, you know, there's a sense of there's a weight lifted there. Um, but that's the story. It's a guy kills a bird, messes up his mind, and then tells a bunch of people at a wedding his life story. And it's um, a really good tale, even though how boring it sounds dumbed down to that. Now, I, I know for sure that there are analysis and deep dives um, into that, and I've not read those. So if I've totally misinterpreted or misunderstood what happened, I'm sorry, but I hope you are interested enough in this story and the writing. So maybe go look into those deep dives yourself. I think even Wikipedia has breakdowns of the stanzas and sort of what he means, what is he trying to get at here, and it's all just very interesting. Again, this is what sparked me wanting to do a podcast on epic poetry. I just think this is a really well-told tale, and it's approachable. And speaking of approachable, that's not what the contemporaries thought when this came out. Uh, I read that it was reviewed kind of kind of poorly for his language choice. He used outdated words, he used weird spellings, and Again, I did read the updated version in like 1816, 1817, I think, which is a few years after it was originally published. And I believe he made a couple of changes there um, and added notations to help it be more understandable to the common public. And I found that critique very weird because I thought it was very approachable, but maybe, maybe he made a lot of good changes in this updated version. But there still are some words that might have flown over our heads as a 21st century audience. And I just marked some down just to give you some quick definitions um, in case they kind of threw you off and you weren't sure what that was. I don't think any there was any big words that would have completely ruined the understanding of the story. But I definitely think knowing what these words mean can help you set the scene a little bit better. There are a lot of scene-setting words. So the first word on our list is in the title, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. What is rhyme? If you look at the title of this podcast, you'll see it's not rhyme, like R-H-Y-M-E, not like rhyming in a poem, but I'm sure that double meaning is definitely there. This rhyme is spelled R-I-M-E. And its definition is just read straight from like Google definitions, wherever they get it from. Frost formed on cold objects by the rapid freezing of water vapor in cloud or fog. And I put in parentheses, spiky ice. If you look up pictures of rhyme, again, R-I-M-E, rhyme, 
it's like spiky ice. It's not like it's like something's frozen over, but like it was in the middle of moving, which is why it's rapid freezing. So it's kind of like the air or a water splash gets frozen mid motion and it happens up on tree branches and all that kind of stuff. And it looks really cool. And I think it's kind of a little little fun double meaning in the title, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, as he's telling you a rhyming poem, and The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, as this stuff happens in a frozen ocean. So I'm sure that has a connection. <laughs> the other term that gets mentioned a couple times that you might have been like, what? Um, is It's on a kirk. We go up to the kirk. Um, and that is a Scottish term for a church. That's why I say they're having a nice Scottish wedding. So I'm sure they're in Scotland if they're calling it a kirk. So... That's just a fun little tidbit. That's probably the most affecting how you read the story kind of word. Because if you don't know why they're going to a kirk, you don't know what that means. You might, you know, if wedding guests didn't give it away, you might miss that. It's some sort of wedding or ceremony happening. The other word is gossamer. This is just used once. Um, and it really intrigued me because I'm like, what's a gossamer? Um, and it is basically like cobwebs or small, light, thin, delicate doohickeys floating in the air typically cobwebs there's not really other vague delicate fibers that are naturally occurring uh, and again that I think is used to kind of set the ghastly as they say scene of this poem and the last word I wanted just to define for you guys is seraph this word was mentioned near the end of our tale um he sees a seraph man he says seraph band in one stanza I don't know the difference. I think they mean basically the same thing. But a seraph basically is a member of the highest order of angels. They sit by God's throne. Um, basically the best angel you could get in a situation. So this guy, super blessed. Um, heavenly moment comes down. And that's again when he's blessing the living things. And the angel sort of sets him free now that he's sort of realized what he's done. Um, and then he gets found and everything. And that is all I have for you guys about this poem. I'll say it for the fifth time. I hope it, you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think it's a really fun tale, and I'm excited to continue to read more epic poems. Um, so if you have a favorite epic poem, or an epic poem you think is underappreciated and deserves a little sound effect music pizzazz added to the reading of it, feel free to send that to me. All that contact information is in the podcast episode description or the show notes. I'll also have a link to read this yourself if you want to go back and reread it, see the words with your eyes, because it is interesting spellings. Um, and I'm sure I messed up pronunciations for some of it, because it is old romantic era English writing. So I'm sure my, again, 21st century American sensibilities didn't quite know how those words click together. So definitely take a read for it yourself. The reading portion of this podcast is about half an hour. So yeah, it'll probably take you half an hour, 45 minutes to read through it. And with that, we will be ending today's episode. I haven't come up with any cool outro yet. So I'm just going to say thank you guys for listening all the way to the end. Oh my gosh. And tune in hopefully next week. I think my current plan is to read a King Arthur epic poem, and I think that'll be fun. Got some sword clashes prepared for that. So thank you guys. Keep reading your epic poems and stay epic.